1: Welcome to the market report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Good morning, America. Good morning, UK. Good Morgen, Nederlander. Guten Morgen, Deutschland. And a new listener from New Zealand, as mentioned in last week's Farmers Weekly, Uh, good morning to Chris Bennett in New Zealand. We have a New Zealand listener, which is obviously very useful to him. So... uh yeah, I've always wanted to do that silly voice as a sort of DJ on on some form of excuse, so uh, there we go. We are so international now, we're in different time zones, and uh, obviously what we've got to say is holding lots of people's lives together, so good on you. And if it's any any country's not mentioned that uh, someone is listening to us, then please feel free to let me know, because it will boost my ego even further. Right, market report for week commencing 22nd of February 2021. Let's, uh, let's start with the fanfare and hit straight on the oilseed rate price, which if you wanted to sell it for May, you could make £400 per tonne which is very exciting and I'm very pleased for anyone who's held on to it this long and obviously the bonus on top of that, you know, it's great. That's exactly what you take risks for. Uh, It's worked. It's, you know, what a fabulous price. Underlyingly, the oil price remains firm. Stocks on the latest USDA are clearly going to be low. Everything is riding on the production for this coming year. Um, And yeah, that's a 50-50 split. Could be good, could be bad. Same with every other commodity. So £400 per tonne for oilseed rape. Wow. Let's move on to slightly negative one in the current mood and that is feed barley. Uh, in the UK our feed barley price has had a, a fabulous period since Christmas. It's easing back a bit now. The pound is firming, uh, you know, interpretation of Brexit seems less relevant to how many people are being, you know, uh, vaccinated for the um, coronavirus and at the moment we're leading the world in that or we're in the top 3 if you like. So Our pound is recovering and it seems to be the main focus of what everyone's thinking about. In time, there's obviously some what we call teething problems with dealing with Europe. Um, But there's there's an amount of optimism going about at the moment which has been lacking. It has been really dull, dire and miserable. And we can almost see the chink of light of being being allowed out to talk to other people and not just drive our families mad by repeating the same stuff day after day. So, yeah. The pound is strengthening and therefore the feed barley price is easing back a bit because export is where the surplus needs to go. Um, It's not really that relevant. It's 156x. Um, I don't see the market dropping away because of the underlying feed demand and the cost of wheat going up. So that's where it's at. I wouldn't mess around. Time is moving on. Just, you know, you've done really well by not having sold it up to now. Let it go. That's my view. Uh, Feed wheat has been uh, there's plenty of non-believers out there who've been um, telling us the world has ended, and in fact there's more than enough wheat, and it's going to drop in the end. And our, our conversation last week said at the very end of the year we felt the market would be lower than two hundred pounds a ton. Still hold with that, but we also said that in between now and then it will go up. And just for a change, we got instant gratification on that subject. So the market for feed wheat has bounced. The the value X Farm as I record March two hundred and two. April 204, May 205, something like that. Yeah, if you've got wheat to sell, then please offer it to us. We will, you know, be persuaded and arm-bent and we'll negotiate. It's it's hard to buy. I can't pretend differently. I'm supposed to pretend it's easy so I can buy it cheaply off you. Obviously, that's my role as uh, Dick Turpin, but... In reality, it is very hard to buy, and although the market, when it, when it looks a bit wobbly and it drops below £200 a tonne, shakes a few nerves, um, it isn't going to fall far from there if it does drop again, and underlyingly I think this market is going to stay firm for the foreseeable future. Certainly everybody seems interested in getting their hands on it, so don't assume it's going to go to 250 it will not. So it's somewhere near the top. Um, And quite exactly what you're waiting for, I don't think you know yourselves, do you? So, you know, the message is there. Do it when you feel like it or keep stringing a load of people along until you feel like selling it. Um, Let's be real. Practically, um, the weather forecast in the next... 10 days looks more favourable than I thought last week. So, what uh, Joe, the weatherman in, in our office here, has been explaining with his big hands sort of waving all over the place there's a high pressure coming over the east of England, which will mean that we'll have some frosts and so on in a, in a week or two's time. But in between now and then, we're going to have very warm, uh, mild weather southerly winds there might be a little bit of rain on monday but largely the east of the country or east anglia seems to be getting away without any rain so there's a bucket load of jobs that suddenly people can get their hands on um there's there's snow melt which means the land is pretty wet at this moment but with the sun shining with the wind blowing and longer days i think we might be having a glimpse of optimism out there those sugar beet might get lifted in time And the land might get into a condition where we might be able to start doing things. So it's verging on exciting. Everyone's teetering on the edge of getting out there again. This morning, it is still too boggy and wet. But hey, in a week's time, we might be feeling or reporting on some some positivity. Uh, And underlyingly, it looks like the high pressure that then comes in after that... Will bring us the cold period in March I was talking about last week, but it will be a high pressure, and very hopefully that will give people the opportunity to genuinely catch up with lots of the stuff. So, with that in mind, that really does kind of put the mood of our farmers uh, up there a bit, and I am sure you know Chris Bennett in New Zealand. You'll understand when the weather's been against you day after day. There is a moment when all of a sudden the forecast looks good, and you think, you know what, life ain't so bad. So uh, that's where we're at with our market report. Have a great week, and uh, see you then. Alfie Design. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours.
0: The Dewing Grain app will keep you updated with real time industry news, data analysis, and insights into the market, giving you all the information you need to make informed trading decisions. A commodity selling feature enables you to source prices and receive direct offer notifications informing you on what Dewing Grain are looking to buy and at what price. Search Dewing Grain on the App Store or Google Play to download, and with all of these features in your pocket, you'll have more time to sit back and listen to our podcast. To set up a trading account with us, call 01263 or email info at And now it's time for Farm Chat.
1: This morning, I have got with me one of my colleagues who hasn't been on the podcast yet, so I've got Andy George. So Andy, good morning. Good morning. Now Andy is the man who has the most luxurious and fantastic job of the whole outfit. <laughs> His job is to organise the logistics and lots of the weight recording of the grain that moves. It's the golden past. You must feel your life is complete.
2: Absolutely complete. <laughs> I mean um, the amount of tickets that we wade through each—I'll say each day let alone each week or month is quite big but we get it on and we have a laugh at it. It's great.
1: Yeah, I think the starting place is to understand the dynamic of grain merchants. You know, obviously the prima donna boys buy the grain off the farmers and then swan around the office like they've done a day's work. And then they chuck a bit of paper at someone else. Now, invariably, in, in olden days, there was lots of people you chucked a bit of paper at. And you like, you know, <laughs> I used to be the person they chucked the paper at. So I kind of understood the dynamic of the prima donna. So when I got my chance, I really do ponce about. But the guy the piece of paper lands on says we've got to move 600 tonnes of wheat from this bloke to that mill, or to, you know, we allocate where the stuff goes to. Your job is to, one, find a haulier, and two, liaise with the farmer and the haulier and the intake point to meet ever-demanding fixings on deliveries, in other words, time slots and all of those things. What's the most
2: complex bit of that process? I think the most complex bit has to be arranging a good time between the hauliers and the farmers for them to actually to be able to collect and load well, if we're moving wheat, if we're moving the barley, whatever it may be for that delivery. Most of the time, I must say, actually it is actually, it runs seamlessly. And yeah. You can make a quick phone call, 10 seconds, we'd like to collect however many loads of wheat. Yes, that's not a problem. Just send me an email with the details and away we go.
1: Yeah, um, that's the
2: dream, yeah. <laughs> that is the dream. And then with the hauliers... Again, it's pretty much the same thing, quick phone call, can you do X amount of loads on X day into this mill? And i say, yeah, sure, that's fine, or let me have a look at it, I'll call you back. Sometimes you have to chase them up for that call back, but evidently, most of them, if they can do it, they can do it. If they can't, they can't.
1: So what could possibly go wrong with that scenario?
2: All well, depends on whether things can actually be loaded or not, <laughs> <laughs> no, <this laughs> to be is, honest.
1: <laughs> this is obviously, there's several of our customers listening to this, so it's a very dodgy piece of ground, so we won't use any names but what is the best excuse you've received by a farmer
2: for not loading best excuse has to be I know I'm doing something but I don't know what yet so he can't so they can't load (laughs) yeah that's a good one (laughs) which is a piece of information of which I didn't know how to respond to (laughs) other than okay thank you Yeah.
1: Could someone have a word with this bloke and tell him what day it is? Through my career, this, you know, it might seem as something that's not, how could that caringless merchant not understand how really important we all are? But if you sell grain for a movement month and the person phones up to collect it, and I can't actually load on this day, that day, this day, that day. I mean, obviously, this season's not been quite as bad with shooting and so on, but, you know, it has at times been. What's the word I'm searching for? Challenging. That's it. Challenging. Interesting and challenging. I used to have a boss who used to say that all the time. Jonathan Cowens used to say that was interesting or challenging and when something was decidedly shite. (laughs) (laughs) That's why he got to be management. Anyway, so let's go back to before you worked with us. You know, what on earth got you? Because you originally... You're not a Norfolk lad, are you? So where do
2: you come from? No, originally. Please don't hold this against me. I'm from <laughs> Liverpool. That's
1: what, absolutely, I don't. You know, I mean, so your perception of Norfolk when you were a lad growing up was what? Had you any idea where it was?
2: I didn't have a clue where it was, <laughs> truth be told, because <laughs> I was like, so I was born and in bred in Liverpool. Until I was about eighteen, and then moved down to London when I was eighteen, nineteen for a job. Stayed there for about five, six years. Then moved to Greece for a couple of years, and then that's when I then met my missus, which then brought me. To Norfolk. She's, she's a Norfolk poor, girl?
1: Norfolk girl. So she came back from Greece thinking the
2: weather was nicer, yeah? She came, she, well, <laughs> she, she, she came back for something, I don't know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> if, if it was me, I'd have stayed there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so,
1: obviously, you know, around the country, you know, every area has its, you know, we all have prejudiced views of what, you know, Liverpool, I could easily say, you know, you must be delighted to have your wheel hubs on your car every morning or something like that, and
2: you go... It's been challenging not to take the wheels (laughs) off some of the cars in the car park, but still, you know, i I thought about it a (laughs) lot.
1: But, you know, we, as you know in Norfolk, carrot crunchers, that's the politest one, you know, very close family, we'll put it like that.
2: (laughs) Webbed feet was another one, I got told. Yeah,
1: six fingers, <laughs> high six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's kind of, you know, a lot of people don't know where Norfolk is, which is fine, because it not not been that important in time. Yeah, yeah, we're a backward bunch of normal-for-Norfolk idiots, which is equally, you know, I'm quite happy with that. It just seems that in recent times, everybody seems to want to be moving up here, don't they?
2: Yeah, there's a lot, a hell of a lot more people. I mean, I've been here, what, eight years now? I moved in 2000, yeah, 2012. I moved here. And yeah, there seems to be a lot of people migrating this way from London because they want, they've got their second homes or whatever. They have to come up and tell
1: us how to do it properly because that's what what normally happens.
2: But to be fair, I mean, I love it here. I'd much rather live in the country than live in a city where it's just busy, 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 busy. I've been there, done that. I think it wasn't until I went to Greece I actually appreciated the peace and quiet. Yeah, there's nothing there. It's, yeah, lots
1: of people doesn't necessarily mean that there's. You know, it's lots of things to do. London nowadays is not quite as busy as it was, is it? There's a whole load of coronavirus impeding their happiness. But up here, I think when people... Because there are a lot of people who've definitely moved up and moved out. And when it gets back to, brackets, normal, I think they will be craving a
2: bit more life than Norfolk has to offer because it is a bit of a sleepy sleepy old area, isn't it? Yeah, it is a bit. But like you say, the amount of... Well, before pre-COVID and all that sort of stuff and when lockdowns were lifted and we could get out... The amount of walks that you can do up here mm. is incredible. And we'd always go for a walk. I would take the little baby out for a walk mm. um, most weekends when when we could. And just to just to actually appreciate the countryside, to be honest. Mm. Before you... What was your career? What did you do before? Before, well, I was a tennis player for about 18 years and then coached from about the age of 15 right up to, say, 26, 27, something like that. OK. That was all instilled from my grandmother, because my grandmother used to be a tennis coach. Okay. Um, so I was, I'm actively known as the favourite grandchild, because I followed in grandma's footsteps. <laughs>
1: okay, no, that's, well, good. And <laughs> being a tennis player means you were paid to play tennis. Most
2: people would think that, but actually <laughs> no, I wasn't. You, you source out as much sponsorship as you can to help pay for travel to tournaments abroad, and even tournaments in this country, but everything is performance-orientated. Yeah. So if you don't win, you don't earn any money. No. It's not as if someone's saying, right, there's your salary every single month. It is basically on you having to pull your finger out and win, yeah. um, which, singles-wise, I was never very, very good at. If I'm honest with you, <laughs> well, you should play me. You'd feel a lot better about it. <laughs> <laughs> You're on. <laughs> um, no, I prefer doubles because I had less court to cover, <laughs> and I could blame someone else. <laughs> yeah, even better. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: just tend to take responsibility. I haven't played tennis for absolutely years. I must admit, I want to do that. So if we could find an excuse to get out, you know, we're, well, we're so short-staffed nowadays. <laughs> if we wouldn't play tennis, there'd be nobody left, would there? So, yeah, what stopped you doing that? Just age or you'd no, you your the, knee up, didn't you? No,
2: the playing career was an ankle injury. One fateful day, I decided to snap my left ankle in four different places. Lovely. So that literally put an end to it. And then my coach then said to me, I'm going to waste you. You're going to do something with this sport. Mm-hmm. So go and coach. So I went and did all my coaching badges and things just gradually progressed from there. Mm-hmm. Without doing the coaching side of things, I wouldn't have learned everything that I per- would need to do any, what I perceive normal job rather than coaching. Yeah. It's all the customer care side of things, dealing with the public face-to-face, over the phones, everything like that. You're thrown right into the middle of it. And it's with that, all the customer care side of things that actually helps you.
1: So how did you deal with someone having a spaz with their tennis racket then? Say again? Well, you know, if someone completely lost the plot, you know, just started swinging their racket around, oh,
2: I hate this game, oh, you know. What did you do? Well, I used to get a lot of 10-, 12-year-old prima donnas who thought they were the bee's knees when, you know, they were angry at losing a final of a little... Crappy tournament in North Norfolk when really they should be playing big well, the big international ones. The,
1: the, the tor- <laughs> tournament I'd like to win myself, <laughs> I've dreamt of. You mean? Don't I'm sorry saying. about that. That's <laughs> not going to happen. Um, if I win it, I will think oh, this is a crappy little tournament. You can do. <laughs> no, I'll never, I'll never win it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. anyway, um, so, no, so
2: there they are. They're having a spaz. Yeah, what do you did, do? You'd be in the middle of a lesson and you think everything was going well, and the next minute a racket gets thrown and stuff like that and. For me, I learnt the hard way. I cracked every single tennis racket I've ever had. Really? I've put it in... I literally torpedoed them into the floor. And I got banned for six months. Did you? I wasn't allowed to... I was allowed to physically train, but I wasn't allowed to hit ball. Did they say racket abuse? <laughs> I don't know. You do get some umpires that will go, code violation, racket abuse, Mr oh, George. Oh, I love that. Um... <laughs> I'd just love to say that. I was... I would say gonna, that to
1: uh, you. Now if I see you slam the phone down, I'll go... I'm going to go racket
2: abuse. <laughs> Mr George. <laughs> I was very crafty. I always did it in not the viewpoint of any onlooking official. Okay, so you just <laughs> went round the corner and smashed went it. round the corner, smashed it up. But yeah, when, when a kid did that, it was a case of, well, they're your tools. You're not going to be able to play. You're not going to be able to like do your work on the court, as it were. So... Lesson finishes, off you go. That's your punishment. You're not going to hit a ball for the rest of the day. And that would really, really shock them. But most coaches are quite, but will go, oh, bless him. It's like, well, yeah, kids, you can't say, oh, bless him. Come on, Tristan, pick up the racket. Let's try and mend it, shall we? Don't get me started on the parents.
1: (laughs) Yeah, go on. That must be,
2: (laughs) I mean, what's the, the best pushy parent ever? The best pushy parent I've ever seen was, I was actually, one of my players was, Playing a tournament and all the chairs were right at the back of the court, outside club. And this one parent would walk to the back of the court at the other end and help coach the kid while they were playing and then walk back round and they just kept doing this all for the whole match. It's quite obvious what they were doing, and you're not allowed to do it, but you can't prove it unless you hear them speak. And this dad constantly was telling the child what to do. The child lost. And then I have seen the dad go absolutely mental at the child for losing. And you're like, the kid's 12. Let him enjoy hitting the ball. (laughs) What were you thinking? (laughs) (laughs) Or (laughs) one of the other ones I've had, in the middle of a lesson, the dad's come on the court and starts to pick the balls up. So if I'm doing a basket drill, I've got 200 balls in a tennis basket, and we're doing whatever drill it was, the dad started to pick the balls up so the basket never runs out. I want my child to hit as many balls as they can in the hour. I get that, but I still have to give constructive criticism or feedback of what the child's doing. You can't just keep going all the time. And yeah, every lesson for about three years, that dad would do the same thing every week. To get his money's worth. To get his money's worth because he didn't. He probably didn't feel like he was. I'm um, from Liverpool, so I'm Robin.
1: <laughs> so where, where did he come from? This guy was he a uh, from on, mem- Give me, mem- give from me, from me a me st- county. We'll judge every person in that county <laughs> on this basis. From,
2: from memory surgery, right? He was born and bred Londoner.
1: Yeah, the thing what you're doing wrong, mate, is this always upsets Scotty. Scotty, I love you listening to my podcast. I love your feedback. But, and I vaguely love winding you up. This is a, you know, South London Millwall. No, nobody likes us. We don't care, person. Don't mess uh, with Millwall. Uh, yeah, no. Well, back to my London impression, just for Scotty. Now, the thing what you do wrong, Mr. Tennis Coach, is you're, not, you're just not, you know, you're not throwing it right and you're not You you're not getting your feet right. You're not, you know, you really don't know what you're doing, do you? So you should stand over there and all that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's purely for my own pleasure. I, this is, I've discovered something about my podcast is that, you know, I can do what the hell I like. <laughs>
2: that's very true.
1: And I keep sending it out there like a loon and we get a listeners from New Zealand. So it's like, who cares? It's like... I'm obviously, you know, one listener in New Zealand and all over the world. We're worldwide, Andy. You're speaking to the worldwide audience. Isn't that amazing? Hello, worldwide audience. <coughs> You're speaking the right language. You German? There's a German. Don't mind you, all of them obviously who listen can speak English because I thought they wouldn't understand. But anyway, I'm dead pleased with that. So you did your tennis thing and then, you know, at what point, when did you start with us? How many? Two years
2: this coming August. Yeah. So be... So a year and a half, 18 maybe. months. Yeah. Yeah,
1: okay, and, and in that time we had covid, didn't we? And we had a complete and utter
2: meltdown of how we did things. Yeah, that massively shaked things up and that was something that we could all see coming from afar and it
1: was being reported in the autumn, wasn't it? And then I mean the Chinese actually admitted to it in the December, but there's cases of the Wuhan coronavirus in Italy in September. So there's a missing thing, isn't there? So it was happening but it actually became actually official when that Chinese doctor who'd warned the world died and everyone thought, uh-oh, and, and they kind of had to come clean, didn't they? But for us, we had, in that period, obviously Emma and Hillary were working on, in the side that you're in, and through health issues they became furloughed, and then through the dynamics of how we've had to cut our cloth, we've ended up with, you know, those two guys having left us and and Will has also gone so we've really shrunk down our staff haven't we so there's a lot come onto your plate which mm. you seem to have adequately coped with and you seem on top of it are you, are you feeling comfy with it or is it
2: yeah no, I feel more than comfy to be honest but I'd like to say when this virus hit and then we those two guys were furloughed and then obviously everything sort of landed on my plate it was a case of right okay job needs to be done, let's get it done, let's get the mountain of tickets on and let's get everything invoiced and just take it day by day. There was no no point panicking over it, no point thinking, oh my God, what are we going to do? The job has to be done,
1: so In, off you go. Are you irritated when I help? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm,
2: <laughs> yes, he's very irritating. <laughs> he puts the tickets on wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no it's uh, <laughs> no. to be honest when <clears throat> yes when things do pile up it is always a very very big help when others get involved and do well, help put tickets on yeah. and, and do help out with sorting out little bits of haulage here and there and that is a huge help
1: well we're small enough as a business to you know if you want something done and it isn't going to get done because someone's snowed under you know when the when we had the boat in the autumn and we had the Malt and Barley going out and all that stuff happening at the same time, and all the sugar beet was going, when I mean, we couldn't get the lorries and blah, blah, blah. There's no point trying to get you then to do extra stuff. And, you know, the beauty of our business is we've all had to pull our fingers out and do it, haven't we? It's a shared load.
2: That's right, and when, obviously, when this thing happens, then, as you say, big shared loads. People mucked in left, right and centre, which was really, really good, and without blowing smoke up anyone's backside, it was probably one of the first places I've worked where it doesn't matter what you did, where you are from, you mucked in, you helped out, and we all got the job done.
1: Yeah. And that and was
2: brilliant, absolutely brilliant.
1: It's made the team tighter, without a doubt, even sure. though we're not in every day. For I mean, no, sure. no one's seeing each other. And we are, I'm bubble-breaking today and actually coming in with you today because I haven't seen you for ages,
2: have I? No, you haven't seen for about, well, I think, was, <laughs> trying to think yeah. was the last time we actually <laughs> sat down and had a well, conversation. Well,
1: before the last lockdown, when Webby went down with COVID, that's when we were beginning to all creep back that's in right, again yeah. quite regularly. Now we're kind of feeling a bit confident again, I suppose. We shouldn't do. We, the bubbles are still functioning, aren't they?
2: They are actually working really, really well. To know that you are actually only in with a select few people, but within that select team, you can all get the job done. And if there's something you need from one of the other traders or one of the guys that's actually not working, you just pick up the phone. Yeah. Which is great.
1: And then we've all learnt we can work from them, although, albeit that Joe Beardshaw and myself live in, you know, he lives in uh, Tuttington, I live in West Street which are, Diddy little villages with, you know, there's a donkey sort of walking the wheel that makes the electricity work so that you can't have the the camera and the audio on on your teams because it just doesn't work. We really are in the middle of nowhere when it comes to internet. Although you live in Swanton Abbott next door to Westwick, which has fast
2: fibre, does it not? It does, but if the truth be told, fast fibre, whatever they call it nowadays, I think it's all the same. My father-in-law goes mental because any time they say, oh, we're putting in the latest... Optic, whatever it may be, because he used to work in electronics for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. He says it's the same thing. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what they lay, it's gonna be exactly the same thing. Like you say, especially in Westwick, Totting and Swanton Abbott, yeah, you can get hit and miss signals when it comes to Wi-Fi. So yet yeah, the team's interactions can be can be quite incredible, especially with Joe's well, I do not know what I'm doing, sort of thing. <laughs> and he's uh, in- intermittent, and then he'll pipe up with a word, and you're thinking, "What's he talking about?" He hasn't yeah, spoken for five well, minutes.
1: We, we yeah, we can't have the camera on Joe, which is, you know, <laughs> can't see his hand expressions, can we? Anyway, so the switch from being a tennis coach
2: to the UK grain trade is it, you know, is a happy place? Good thing to do? It was a very good thing to do. If truth be told, when I actually applied for the job, I was. Looking for something that was a lot closer to home. So then, because at that time I was working at UEA Sports Park, mm-hmm. which was a good 30, 45 minute commute. Whereas now it's only 5 10 minutes yeah. down the road. Which free, was free car parking. <laughs> free car parking. Always a bonus.
1: No, no, it is. I it tell is, you, know, it, people it, it, who work in it, merchants, really you know, you're working in the middle of the city, how much do you spend every day on car parking tickets? And if you go to the UEA, charges
2: you to park, doesn't it? I was at Sports Park. We could park in our car park for free. Okay. But on when we had big events on and things like that, you had to park in the main UEA car park, which I think we got subsidised. But it was still like three fifty four quid a day, something like that. Right. All adds up.
1: Well, lots of people must have in the lockdown must have saved loads of money on that basis. haven't they? you know, lots of people haven't gone and they worked at home. The commute's given them two hours a day extra in not travelling, and they've not had the expenses, have they?
2: I mean, people must have saved, mustn't they? I know I have, especially on the uh, petrol side of things. I think the last time I filled up my car Wednesday, I think the time before that was about six weeks ago. Yeah. It was incredible, and even then it's not full, it's only half full. Um, yeah. And you're thinking, wow, <laughs> I can't remember the last time half a tank of petrol lasted me six weeks. But we're talking about the people who've
1: got a job who've been fortunate enough to have all those benefits. I mean, the knock-on effect of... All of this is well no one can really tell, can they? It's just gonna be a pretty pretty glum old time. Yeah, I
2: think it's gonna be well, glum is probably putting it a bit politely, but I think it's gonna be
1: Well, tennis coaching must bad. have gone out the window completely in that entire period.
2: Oh, it has, completely gone. But my best friend's still a tennis coach to this day and he hasn't worked in the last year. So I assume he's furloughed or is he self-employed? No, he's self-employed. So oh. he's relying on the self-employed grants he can get and all that sort of stuff. But even mm. still, he's really, really struggling. And even when they are able to open the courts again, which God knows when that'll be, you yeah. know, they'll st- I guarantee there'll still be rules on how many players you're allowed on a court, etc. And yeah, he is finding it really tough. Mm. Really, really tough. I'm just fortunate touchwoods. I'm in an um, industry that just keeps moving. And keeps yeah, going. well, this agriculture, for all of its sins, is solid, and it has a
1: reason, and the world needs to eat, and you know, whatever the politicians decide, there is going to be a job in doing what we do. Hopefully there'll be little companies like mine still around, and not just big organisations, but it's, it's an industry that will survive. So in that sense, good bit of timing, wasn't it?
2: It was a very good bit of timing. <laughs> very, very good bit of timing, yes. I think
1: we'll wrap this up in a second, but I'll just say years ago there used to be a thing... The Norfolk Suffolk Sports Day where agricultural merchants from each county played against each other. It's quite a competitive thing. You know, it got quite needly, especially in the cricket match. you know you have people zinging balls down at people they didn't like. and you know but there was a tennis tournament I used to play, and a chap called Tony Bannham used to organize a Norfolk team, and we always won. Tony was superbly brilliant at tennis, and I was just young and kind of like ran around a lot, but we always won the tennis thing. So if ever there was another Norfolk Suffolk tennis, day or someone challenged doing grain to some tennis. I think you know—is your angle up to it? If you're going to play against a lot of people who can't play, you should be able to
2: like sort that out, shouldn't you? Ankles all fine. Knees over the years have started to give up, but they'll they'll be fine. I don't I don't need to run as much these days. Yes. Uh, well no, if that is to rekindle at some point, I'd be more yeah, more no, than I, game I just, for that. You know, more might, than game.
1: I might just chuck out a tennis challenge if any merchants out there want to take on doing grain at tennis then, uh, you know, Bring we're, it on. We're at, we, we might have a ringer who actually uh, is a genuine employee who might just be my partner in the doubles.
2: <laughs> I just hope you're really good, because I'm really bad. I like the way he's dropped that one in there, that if the whole company gets involved, that I'm his partner, no-one else can have me. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep.
1: That would be your fault of it, isn't it? Oh anyway. <laughs> You fitted in brilliantly, you know, in 18 months, it's been a change that I wouldn't have predicted. Our five-year plan has altered on the basis of COVID, on the basis of, of, you know, Brexit, how that's happened. You fit in, it's fun, you know, I'm glad you're enjoying it and thanks very much for your podcast
2: debut. No worries, Um, I know when you said this morning it was going to be my podcast debut, I started getting the sweats a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Because I've never done anything like this before. But no, the last 18 months have been really, really enjoyable. It's been good to come into... I know know not a lot of people actually say that, but it's actually great to come into... This is a good smoke-up-my-ass opportunity, this, Andy. This is a big opportunity to blow smoke (laughs) right up the boss's bum. Um, But, no, on a a serious point, because we all get on, we all do the work, it has been really, really enjoyable. Challenging at Mm. times. When I, especially when I had about probably about five boats in two months, but that was challenging well, but really, some really people, enjoyable.
1: Some of these companies have five boats a week. They're like, yeah, but they've also got a staff of six hundred and fifty million people as well. So it's not just not one just person. the lone scouse at uh, a desk.
2: But <laughs> mate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway. With that, Andy, thanks very much for coming on.
2: Thank you very much. Cheers.
0: Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they are released and follow us on Twitter. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.